Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM here with you live and local in Richmond, Virginia on a Thursday, February 22nd. And like we've been talking about, it already is starting to feel like March with a ton of upsets last night in college hoops, including one in the Atlantic 10 with number 16 Dayton Flyers going down to Mason in Fairfax at Eagle Bank Arena. Joining us right now, talk a little college hoops in the state of Virginia on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline from Who's Talking. You can hear Mondays on 910 The Fan. It is Jim Hobgood. What's going on, Hobbo? Hey, Adam. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm gradually getting better after that embarrassment on Monday night. Uh, So fortunately, it's been two or three days, so... Usually takes me a couple of nights to recover uh, from a from a tough loss. I don't even know what you call that on Monday night. <laughs> Shell- shellacking doesn't describe it. Uh, a massacre, maybe. I, I don't know, but uh, it's it's hard to believe. You know, the funny thing is, you know, you're talking about the upset of Dayton last night. I mean, it's hard to play on the road. That's becoming more and more obvious. You know, VCU got beat soundly by UMass. Uh, you know, I was surprised by the score of the Wake Forest Pitt game. I guess on Tuesday night, uh, Pitt had been playing really well. They got to Wake Forest and lose by 33. Virginia lost by I, I can't even count that big a number. <laughs> so it, so it's it's crazy. Uh, but you're right. You know it. Uh, you know there's such parity in college basketball. Uh, you know you're looking at the ACC, and I, I think. Carolina and Duke clearly have the most talent, and they're starting to rise to the top. But you can throw a blanket over the next six, eight, or ten teams. They're all uh, they're all pretty close. So on any given night, uh, you can win, you can lose, or you can get blown out, just depending on how it works. But it, it it's an interesting, fun time of year, as you say, as we're getting ready for uh, good old March Madness. Uh, but we have conference tournaments to begin with so it's if you're a college hoops fan this is the time of year you love yeah i mean there's certainly a lot of parody in college hoops and there's been an argument that there's not a face of college hoops on the men's side you know i I watch enough that i i kind of disagree you know i I think a lot of people know about filipowski at duke armando baycott at unc you know of course you know locally here we know uh the uva uh guys beekman dunn virginia tech hunter cador padula vcu and richmond but there's been an argument that the face of college sports right now at least college basketball is caitlin clark have you heard that argument what are your thoughts habo well, you could make probably make that uh, argument. She she clearly is the uh, premier women's player, uh, women's player, and uh, just as phenomenal. You know, the thing that struck me, I, I didn't see the game where she broke the record, but I saw the video clip of the shot, and she looked to me to be about 10 feet beyond the three-point line. <laughs> so, uh, you know, once she crosses half court, she thinks she's in range, and she very well may be. So, uh, you know, she's been a great boost to uh, college women's basketball. You know, now South Carolina has been the dominant program here of late, but you know, Caitlin Clark certainly is the uh, the person or the uh, player that gets most of the headlines, and probably deservedly so. But you know, back to the men's side, as you look at the 
national tournament, you can certainly look at Connecticut, Purdue, Arizona, maybe North Carolina, maybe Duke. You know, they're probably six to ten teams at least that if they get hot in March like Connecticut did last year could make a run. Yeah. No, but, uh, you know, with, with your point, like UConn, I, I don't think there's many players on UConn that are nationally known, you, you know, and Caitlin Clark is is benefiting the fact that she stayed at the same university. Transfer portal kind of is, is hurting the men's side in terms of just, recogni- you know, uh, recognition. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, but, you know, it, it makes coaching players uh... – you know, it's hard to develop a program chemistry, you know, back to good old UVA. I, I think that's one of the things Tony Bennett is struggling with because I think his system is designed for people to come in and learn the system, learn the culture, and uh, many of them don't play immediately, but they grow into a different, a, a, a positive role through their years. So when you, um, when you got <clears throat> most of these teams have like six to eight players new every year and on a 13-man roster that that's a lot of turnover and a lot of transition but it is what it is so you know the coaches that are going to succeed are going to have to adjust and make the changes necessary to um have the kind of year that they want yeah i mean with uva i, I think you could argue that they're missing a big man down low like a caden shedrick yeah, and uh, obviously it was disappointing to see him leave. I, I don't know all the particulars about that, but I, I think a lot of times anymore in college athletics, you know, it used to be that guys would transfer because they were looking for playing time. I, I think that's probably still true in a few instances, but most of it these days I think is money-related. You know, somebody uh, somebody comes along and offers them uh, a greater compensation package and they uh, pack their bag and they're off to the next place. And you, you routinely anymore see guys. Now I think eventually COVID is going to end because I, I keep, I, I'm still startled by the announcer saying uh, so-and-so is in their sixth year. Right. <laughs> Seems a little bizarre, but uh, nevertheless, that, sh- that should change. But a lo- also a lot of times you'll hear somebody playing on their fourth school Right during their career. Which, well, uh, hey, which, Habo, how about the kicker for UVA? Wasn't he like 34 this year, Ganyard? Uh, yeah, but at least he had served in the Marine Corps, so we give him a little credit for serving the country here. You know? <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that it's. Uh, I joked with people that Kihei Clark was uh, drawing Social Security when he finished. <laughs> you know, so you know somebody, and particularly if you if you stay at one school. <clears throat> And play five years. I'm sure the teams in the league think, "Man, when is that guy ever going to leave?" You know. Right. But, uh, but anyway, interesting times. Uh, obviously, UR had a good win last night. Uh, VCU with that loss, you know, they they have to be careful because uh, I'm sure they want to finish in the top four of the Atlantic Ten. Yeah. And technically, Massachusetts is two games behind, but with the victory over VCU. Technically, they're really only one game behind, because if they finish tied, they would have the tiebreaker. Yep. No, you're so right about that. Every game matters here at the end of February, and then as we get towards March and the conference tournaments. But the best thing about the ACC and UVA is they've got an opportunity to respond and bounce back in a big way, and they'll be at home. John Paul Jones Arena this Saturday welcoming in the 10th-ranked UNC Tar Heels. What are your thoughts on that one? 
Well, it, you're, you're right. It's it's an opportunity, and Virginia, like a lot of schools, is a different team seemingly at JPJ than they are on the road. The challenge with North Carolina, <clears throat> you know, the other day Virginia somehow beat Wake 49-47. You can't do that against Carolina. They they have so many offensive weapons. Virginia better figure out a way to at least get to 60 or 65 to have a chance to win because uh, you're not going to hold Carolina to under 50 points, even at JPJ. And and then the other game of consequence this weekend is Duke goes to Wake Forest. So basically the top four teams in the ACC each play each other. So that that's going to be a separation Saturday hmm. based on who wins those games. Jim Hobgood with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Uh, how much uh, other basketball have you watched inside of the state of Virginia? Have you taken a look at Longwood or JMU? Dukes won set their seventh straight last night. No, they've had an impressive year. I, now, honestly, I haven't seen them play a lot, but what they're up to like twenty-five and three, and I don't care who you're playing. If you're twenty-five and three, you've got a good team and a and a good program. And I think their their coach may be looked at by some other programs. I even saw his name surface on uh, the West Virginia list not long ago. So that it you know for the schools like Madison and even VCU and Richmond. Uh, trying to retain your players and the coaches in this new world order where money talks becomes a, a challenge. How about what you guys, what do you have uh, coming up on who's talking this Monday? Uh, we'll probably talk basketball unless it gets ugly again on Saturday. <laughs> otherwise, uh, well, otherwise we'll be talking baseball and lacrosse, but no, we, we have Steve Castellan. He's a, a guy that played back in the seventies, played on Virginia's first ACC title team. And I think we also have the tennis coach. You know, I always joke with people, uh, UVA is really good at the country club sports, swimming and tennis. So <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll have a little tennis conversation. And Frank likes tennis. He's a big tennis guy. So we, And uh, obviously tennis uh, has won back-to-back national titles. Now they've taken a couple of losses this year, but hopefully they can put it together and make a, make a run in May and uh, threaten to uh, win a third straight title. But anyway, It'll be a lot of hoops on uh, Monday night, especially if we beat the Tar Heels somehow. Habo, I almost forgot. I, I have to ask you. Uh, I love working with your son. We, he he uh, behind the scenes inside radio. He produces our drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess every week, and and he was shaking his head when I told him I might pick Clemson to win the ACC tournament just because I think PJ Hall can actually defend Baycott and, and Clemson can score on the offensive end. Uh, but that's a conversation for another day. He told me I have to ask you about Lefty Drizel recruiting you out of high school. Yeah, I'll give you the condensed version. When I was in high school, Lefty was at Davidson, and I, I made, uh, at the Southern Conference Tournament many years ago, I made a verbal commitment to go to Davidson and play for Lefty. And in the intervening uh, three weeks between the verbal commitment and when I was supposed to sign the letter of intent, uh, the old left-hander departed Davidson and went to Maryland. Uh, and the irony of it is that in the meantime, they hired Larry Brown, who's a name familiar to a lot of college people. He's coached at a variety of places. Uh, and then two months later, Larry Brown decided not to take the Davidson job, and they hired Coach Terry Holland. Uh, and in that intervening two months, I had elected to go to Virginia. And uh, it's kind of it's it's one of those twists and turns of your life because if uh, if Lefty had gone to Maryland and they'd given the job to Coach Holland immediately. I was still gone to Davidson 
and played for Coach Holland and the irony of it, a few years, you know, when I was in graduate school, Coach Holland came to Charlottesville and I was a graduate assistant coach for him. But yeah, I uh, lefty beat West Virginia one night uh, my senior year of high school in Morgantown and I, I lived about 30 miles from Morgantown and 11 o'clock at night, there was this knocking on the door and it was lefty coming to recruit. <laughs> so the man, the man was tireless in his recruiting efforts and uh, he was dumb like a fox. You know, he, he, he's in the Duke Hall of Fame and is a graduate of Duke University. So he, he liked to play that old country boy that uh, wasn't too sharp, but he, he had a lot of success and uh, was a great personality, you know, back in those days with Dean Smith, Lefty, and you know, a little bit before that, Bones McKinney, Norm Sloan. So, that, you know, the ACC. Uh, and ironically, my wife and I were courtside row A, for the 74 ACC title game, which many people argue was the greatest game in ACC history, the uh, 100 to, 103 to 100 overtime Maryland or NC State victory over Maryland. And a lot of people argued that Maryland was the second best team in the country. And in those days, you had to win the conference to go to the tournament. So Maryland right. stayed home um, and didn't get to play in postseason. So, but that's more history than you wanted. But it, it yeah, Lefty, uh, he'll be missed by a lot of people because yeah. he was a good guy. No, I, I love this stuff, Habo. When you look back, how would you describe the impact that Lefty Drizel made on Maryland and the ACC? It was big. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, if he had it to do over again, he probably wouldn't have said UCLA at the East. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen, but anybody – who went to Cole Fieldhouse, and, and Cole Fieldhouse was quite a venue. But when he walked out of that runway and flashed the two, the finger victory sign, that place went ballistic. And, uh, you know, when you think about Elmore, Len Bias, John Lucas, uh, Tom McMillan, you know, he had some great players that came through Maryland during his 17 years there. So uh, he's he will always be a, a significant player. Uh, personality in ACC basketball history along with you know Dean Smith and Coach K and others. Yep, absolutely. Habo, thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105-1 FM, phone lines are open throughout the show, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. You know, Stubb, my favorite part about the show yesterday was Dave Johnson really liking my all-star game. <laughs> yeah, he really idea. liked it. He really liked it. I think he's going to talk to some people. I think he is. I, I, I think he brought it up yesterday on the radio party. Yeah? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did he? So, oh, wow. uh, we'll see. Um if there's uh, any momentum from that, we'll find out if our next guest heard about my idea. That's Chase Hughes, who covers the Washington Wizards, with us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. What's going on, Chase? Not much. Good to be on with you. Good to hear that you made it back from Vegas and the Super Bowl in one piece. I did, man. It was it was the greatest trip of my life. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> it looked fun. Yeah. I mean, it was just so cool being at Radio Row. The sphere was amazing. Vegas was a great, you know, host city uh, for the Super Bowl. It was amazing. So mentioned it yesterday. We were talking to Dave Johnson about trying to fix the All Star game, and I threw out there, you know, growing up. 
playing blacktop basketball, make it, take it. The thing that was the most demoralizing was when you lost and you had to sit down and wait for the next game to be played. And so I said to Dave, they need to bring that to the All-Star game. So I said, round robin, 20 All-Stars, four teams of five. And when you lose, you have to sit down for like eight minutes and watch the other teams play. I mean, that is an, an idea. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much fixing can be done with the All Star Game itself, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I love All Star Saturday Night. Um, I'm always entertained by the dunk contest. I do think it could be better if stars like Zion Williamson and John Morant and Anthony Edwards were in it. Uh, LeBron, you know, back in the day, that would have been awesome. But the All Star Game itself. I don't know what can be done. I've always had the idea, like, maybe if there were, like, WWE-style entrances, that could be fun, where, like, players get to come up with their own idea of, like, how to enter the arena during intros because they kind of do this thing where they just put all the starters and the all-stars on stage, and it's kind of bland. Maybe there could be something fun with that. Um, But I think maybe whittling it down to one-on-one in some form. I know some players have mentioned that. But that's what I think makes the MLB All-Star Game the best of the All-Star Games because, like, I went to the one that was in D.C., and it was just so cool to watch, like, Max Scherzer go up against Aaron Judge. And, you know, it might only be for, like, four or five pitches, but that moment of seeing these two stars that don't often face each other in that setting, it's fun. So maybe the NBA can pull something from that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the All-Star Game is broken. Uh, It's just... It was not fun to watch, not really entertaining to see them uh, play zero defense. I think part of the reason the All-Star game has struggled is because, well, there's zero defense played in the regular season, it feels like, at times. So you're right. Maybe they need to do a gimmick. Maybe it's a one-on-one competition, hot shot, two-on-two, three-on-three, or something like that. They need to get the competitive juices flowing. You can't just have Anthony Edwards shooting with his left hand. I thought he, like, (laughs) single-handedly tried to ruin the skills competition. (laughs) Oh, I mean, seriously. But it's funny on the notion of defense. It really makes you miss NBA regular season defense when the score is, like, 200 to 195. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an issue. Uh, But the Washington Wizards have their second half of the season basically underway here. And uh, I've got my eyes on Denny Avdia. How would you kind of uh, explain to our audience the improvements that he's made this season? Well, he's been much better. And for those who didn't see it, in the last game before the All-Star break, he had a career-high 43 points, the youngest Wizards player to score 40 since John Wall in 2013. And he also had 15 rebounds, 43 points and 15 rebounds. No player had had those numbers to the franchise since Elvin Hayes in 1977. But it wasn't just a one-off game. He scored 20-plus points in four straight entering the All-Star break, which is a career high for him. And I think it starts, obviously, with a lot of hard work for him. But also the Wizards are playing a different style this year where they're playing a lot faster. They've led the league in pace for much of the season. And so they're doing a lot of their offense in transition. And that just suits his skill set. You know, he's uh, very nimble for his size at 6'9". He's also um, a very strong player at 240 pounds. And when he's on the run, he can find mismatches because even in this day and age where there's a lot of unicorns around the league, um, he's got uh, advantages physically with his size and his speed. So I think he's sort of played to his strengths, and it's all come together with the Wizards playing a different style. And now Corey Kispert has started to improve as well. Really good numbers over the last few weeks. What have you noticed? 
Yeah, so this year he's shown a tendency that he um, you know, can get to the rim to a greater degree than he could previously. He's a very athletic and very strong player, and that uh, you know, shown through at the NBA Draft Combine back before he was drafted. He's got like a 38-inch vertical leap, and he's, he's a strong athlete, and he's always been a good shooter. So now he's improved his ability to get to the rim off the dribble and make opponents pay for closing out on him on the perimeter. And lately, I think what's been different is just the pure volume of three-pointers attempted. This month, the Wizards are averaging 39 three attempts per game, which is on pace for a franchise record. Obviously, teams take a lot of threes in this day and age, but the Wizards right now at this moment in time are taking more than ever. And Kispert's led the way. He's averaging eight three-point attempts per game. That's like an elite number. And for a guy who last year was 10th in the league in three-point percentage, this could be the best opportunity he's ever had to increase the volume. So I think the way the Wizards are trying to play, play faster and take more threes, also suits his strengths. Give us some more thoughts on what you'll be watching in the second half of the season. I mean, this is a team that obviously everyone knows is struggling. They're going to continue to struggle. It's not like they're all of a sudden going to go on a run and make the playoffs. Uh, But, you know, give us some reasons to watch. Well, one thing that's been really surprising to me is the defensive uh, performance that they've had over the last, like, month and a half. You can go back to January 9th, and they've had a top-10 defense. And that's surprising because they've been one of the worst defenses in the league all year and going back several seasons. So now it's like an 18-game sample size, which isn't huge, but um, it's also not that small. So I think it's um, something they can certainly build off of. But coming out of the All-Star break, I think it'll be interesting to see what the Wizards do at point guard because – over the All-Star break, they bought out their backup point guard, DeLon Wright. He ended up signing with the Miami Heat. And there's no, like, logical replacement for him on the roster. There's no, like, third point guard who's all of a sudden going to take those minutes. So I think they're probably going to go to, like, you know, Denny Avdia, who's more of a 3-4. He might be a point forward now. Jordan Poole could play more on the ball. And maybe even Bilal Koulibaly, who's played a lot this season, his rookie year, as a 3 could find himself initiating the offense. So there's definitely going to be some experimentation going on at the point guard position. Chase Hughes with us here on the Hadeen Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Uh, Follow him on social media, Chase DC Sports. Read his work, MonumentalSportsNetwork.com. There's a really good article, Five Things to Watch for the Wizards After the All-Star Break, where you kind of dove into the the pace that they're on with three-point attempts. Do you credit that to Brian Keefe? Is it just the style of the game? What is that about? I I do credit it to Brian Keefe. I think it's one of the changes that the Wizards wanted to see uh, when they made the adjustment at coach uh, when they moved Wes Unsell Jr. to the front office and brought Brian Keefe into the main seat. Um, They wanted to get better defensively, and I think they wanted to increase the three-point volume. And we've seen, you know, over time this season that they've taken more and more threes as the months have gone on. But I think you've really seen an uptick this month in large part because of Brian Keith and sort of his philosophy on their offense. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to, you know, make more threes and have a more efficient offense because in their last like 10 games, they've had a few games where they've shot below 30% from three. But when it works, it really works. In their last four games alone, They've both tied a franchise record for threes made in a game with 20, and then they actually set a new record with 21 threes in a game. So the Wizards are going to take a lot of threes and hopefully make a lot, and for better or worse, they're going to be letting it fly from three-point range. So you mentioned Wes Unsell Jr. going to the front office. Have they defined a role for him yet? 
Not yet. I think they're continuing to have discussions about that. Um, you know, when they made the move, the front office wanted to give Wes Unsell Jr. some time to kind of be away from the team and collect his thoughts and think about the type of role that he wanted with the front office. And I think they're still trying to figure that out. But um, it does seem like he's going to be part of the front office uh, like they said he would. Um, the specifics just haven't been ironed out. Chase, before we let you go, I, I did want to ask you about you know the NBA as a whole. A couple good games on TNT tonight. Uh, who do you like out of the Western Conference right now? You know, it is kind of shocking to see the two teams there at the top. Yeah, it's definitely wide open. Um, but I like the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think their defense, being as elite as it is, um, is going to really bode well for them in the postseason. And I think they've got enough scoring, even though that's been their problem, um, between Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards has gotten, like, significantly better every single season of his career. Yeah. And I think he's on a track to superstardom. And I think this postseason, with that defensive structure, he's going to have the opportunity to make a case as one of the faces of the league. I mean, I, I love Anthony Edwards, too. But when you say you like the T-Wolves, do you like them to win a series, to win a game? You're talking an NBA Finals appearance? What are you talking about? I'll go T-Wolves and Nuggets in the conference finals. Okay. And I'll uh, I'll just go out on a limb and say that the, the Timberwolves will get through and go to the finals. Wow. Whoa. Chase Hughes with the hot take here on a Thursday. <laughs> How about that? I mean, they are the one, number one team in the West, uh, but I, I do think that, you know, most people believe it will come down to Denver, maybe Phoenix. What do you think of the Clippers, man? I mean, they've obviously it, – it, there's – at their height, at their peak, it's looked really, really good. Um, it didn't look uh, amazing at first when they first got James Harden, but when all things are clicking, they look like arguably the best team in basketball. I just don't feel confident betting on their future given the age and the health history of their key players. I, I think odds are, same thing with the Suns, like odds are they're not going to have everyone available when they need them the most. And Chase, are you team J.J. Redick or team Doc Rivers? <laughs> oh, um... I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Team Doc Rivers. I think it was kind of an unnecessary shot uh, by JJ Redick. I get what he's trying to do and, and what he has said about sort of the nature of NBA media, what fans like, and in, in the aftermath of it. But I think he went a little too far. Obviously, Doc Rivers has got a lot, a lot of chances as a head coach. Some people didn't think he should get the Bucks job, but I don't, I don't think JJ needed to go to those lengths. You know, I'm I'm Team JJ, and it's because I think Doc put it on himself by coming out in an interview and saying, "Oh, I told Milwaukee, I don't know what you guys are doing." Why would he say that? You know, like that's I, I, I get I, I get that, but for him to say that this guy never is accountable, like I feel like that was a little strong. Yeah. No, you're right. You know, they're both taking shots at each other, but JJ's now on a national stage on ESPN. Chase, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. You can tweet us throughout the show at AWOD Radio or at 910TheFan. Joining us right now on the Hadeen Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, it's our guy from the DMV covering all things college hoops, making the cut with Mook. It's Marcus Washington. What's going on, Mook? 
Hey, what's happening, my man? How are you doing today? Good. Were you at Eagle Bank Arena last night? No, I was not. I was at uh, Georgetown, uh, St. John's. Try to catch up with it uh, this morning. Watch the game. An incredible, incredible win for, for George Mason last night. Yep, so you were at Georgetown. They've now lost 11 in a row. Is Ed Cooley making a difference? Well, I think he's making a difference behind the scenes as far as building the program and building the program the right way. It's just hard to build a program and people to see um, the strides this program has made when it's not showing out on the floor. The one thing I will say about Georgetown last night, uh, St. John's gets up to a, um, a big lead after a lethargic start from Georgetown, and you know this as well as I do. At this time of the month, a lot of teams pack it in. There was no pack-in from Georgetown last night. It was down by as many as 21. They had it down to two with less than a minute left. So there's still a lot of fight left in this team. They have five more games. I would think the definition of success out those five games is two and three or three and two. But I think what this season has shown is um, where uh, Coach Cooley and his staff will make improvements and just simply how far this program needs to come. Mook, let's talk a little Big Ten for a second. Everybody talks about the Big 12 being the best conference. Big Ten feels like one of the worst this year. Uh, Michigan's terrible. Ohio State can't win any games. Maryland's lost two straight. Indiana's having a down year. You got Purdue and Illinois at the top, and even Illinois just lost to Penn State. What are your thoughts on the Big Ten? I think the Big Ten um, is living a little bit off reputation right now because I'll be honest with you, I might be a minority in saying this, but Purdue, I'm not sold on them either. I have not seen Matt Painter be able to do this and run his things and run them effectively once we get to March when teams can hyper-focus on their actions and what they like to run. Illinois is not trustworthy whatsoever. The way they gave up the game the other day was in incredible fashion. I'm sure people who gambled on that game was pulling their hair out on how how they gave up uh, the Penn State game. But I do think that Big Ten is down. I don't think this is one of these years where you're going to see the Big Ten get in eight, nine teams. You know, we've seen that before. Um, And because they're so unpredictable, like you brought up Michigan, but Michigan State is is also wildly inconsistent. Uh, Maryland, at, at times, they bring their offense to the arena. At times, they leave it in their dorm. So I wouldn't expect much out the Big Ten uh, this year when we come to March. But again, with Purdue sitting up there, I'm sure a lot of people are going to stick them in the final four of their brackets. Yeah, no, it's a good point about Purdue. Everybody knows uh, Zach Eady, but, yeah, they were upset uh, last year in the NCAA tournament. Do you have your eye on any any mid-major team that you think that could make a run and be this year's Cinderella team? Honestly, it's your definition of of mid-majors. Obviously, when you look at a team like Florida Atlantic, who um, certainly can make a run, this might be a little bit of a personal bias because I'm from the Commonwealth of Virginia, but I'm certainly keeping my eye on James Madison, a a team that got a big win earlier in the year against Michigan State. Uh, A team, you know, they have their last four games on the road. I'm sure they'd be hyper-focused when they get to their conference uh, tournament. And you know how things are when it comes to March. They're going to end up with one of those teams that's going to be like, oh, this is James Madison. And they're not going to realize that you're not playing the name. (laughs) You're playing the kids on the floor. And I think, you know, depending on matchups in March, 
they're one of those teams that might be a popular pick to get out the uh, the first weekend as a mid-major. No, that's a great point. They won their seventh game in a row last night over Marshall. What are your thoughts on the Atlantic 10 Conference? Richmond at top 11-2, and two, uh, but with Joe Lenardi's latest bracket, they're not in the tournament. The Dayton Flyers, now third seed, but number 16 in the country, are in. Is this going to be a two-bid league, three-bid, or one? I hate to... Uh, break it down like this, but it really does depend on uh, what happens in Brooklyn. It could be one, it could be three. I could see Dayton and Richmond playing in the finals and, and Richmond winning and both teams go. And then you get two teams in there. The team that scares me in Brooklyn, I'm going to be honest with you, is UMass because UMass is playing at a at a rate right now that they could go into Brooklyn and kind of ruin some people's seasons, <laughs> you know, because of how well they play and how physical they play. When you're playing back-to-back games, even though the A-10 does give you that odd Friday off, they can wear you down. And I would not, I would not ignore what George Mason is doing right now. Tony Skin has the exact team that he would like. He can throw the ball inside to Amari Kelly. He has a versatile guy in, in Keyshawn Hall, the UNLV transfer. And then he has a backcourt. Up here in the DMV, it's amazing. With all the talent in the DMV, we don't see too many good primary ball handlers at the local schools. But George Mason has two with Polite and uh, Okoji. And Okoji was terrific last night as a freshman. You could see that team going up to Brooklyn and getting to the last day. George Mason could win the Atlantic 10 tournament. So then it goes back to it. Now are we a one-bid league? Are we a two-bid league? It's a one-bid league probably if Dayton wins. But like you said, it could grow to three depending on what happens around the country. Yeah, obviously I, I like VCU's chances. They always seem to put it together when they get to Brooklyn and play in the championship game on Sunday. I totally agree with you about UMass. Uh, St. Bonaventure as well. You know, they were a team that was uh, picked to finish near the top, uh, but they're sitting as the seven seed, just seven and seven. Let's move over to the ACC. UVA gets demolished by Virginia Tech, but I wouldn't be shocked if UNC came to John Paul Jones Arena and left with an L. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Virginia, there are two things that Virginia can do that will certainly boost their chance of winning. One, take advantage of the freshman point guard in Elliott Cadeau. Even though North Carolina is doing a lot of winning and they've been inconsistent of late, Cadeau will still turn the ball over four and five times in the game. He had five turnovers in his last game. That's somewhere where Virginia, with how they play defense, the team defense, and their concepts, they could give him a lot of problems. The other thing is Blake Buchanan. Blake Buchanan can give them huge minutes on Armando Baycott just simply by making them work, making them wear down. You know, there are always questions about Baycott's motor. It's, it's dogged them since he's a freshman year. If Buchanan can give Tony, you know, 12 minutes, 13, 14 good minutes of being able to um, – the guard Baycott. We know this is probably going to be a low possession game. North Carolina doesn't force pace the way they used to under Dean Smith or um, some of the other coaches. They're willing to slow down, and that accommodates Virginia because Hubert Davis has made this a defense first team, or at least he's tried to. So the pushing isn't as much, and to your point, because of that, a low possession game could end up in Virginia's favor, and you're right. They could come out with a win. That would get them within about a game. They're two games behind North Carolina and Duke. That would certainly put them within a win of, of North Carolina, possibly one or two wins of Duke, with a trip to Durham next week.
Mook, before we let you go, who's the best college basketball player in the country this year? Is there a best college basketball player in the country? I think Caitlin Clark, right? Be, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think player of the year is going to uh, end up being Zach Eady. I, I just feel like because we don't have someone overwhelming that's kind of truly dominant, dominant, um, it's a very easy vote to say, hey, Zach Eady, he's a guy that's been in school. He's a senior. He's been dominant in his games in the Big Ten. And I, I just have a feeling that's where the vote is going. How about Hunter Dickinson? I would love to see Hunter win it. <laughs> I would love to see Hunter win it. But Michigan, uh, Kansas, just the hiccups they've had yeah. um, throughout the season, I think, ends up working against Hunter. Mook, always appreciate you taking the time, man. Where can people check you out? Uh, just come to mtcwithmook.com. You will find all my work, all of the stuff for my YouTube channel, all my game wrap-ups, everything that you can get with me, you can find there. Well, thanks so much for the time, man. Thank you very much. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. If you're enjoying the show, support us by spreading the word. Download the podcast. You can search AWOD Radio on Spotify and iTunes to hear each hour of the show every day. Plus a full best of hour. It's available for you on your ride home. Or you could just download the Odyssey app. Have it at your fingertips. Search 910 The Fan. You'll hear us Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 p.m. Gives you the ability to pause the show, rewind, run some errands, and pick up right where you left off. The Odyssey app is the best app out there for music, play-by-play, and, of course, the best damn sports talk in town. We've still got game day coming up on a final segment of the show today. But joining us right now... On the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline is David Harrison, as I want to do a little Commander's Corner here on the fan. David, what's going on, bud? What's up, man? How you been? I'm doing pretty good. Were you able to meet with some of the new assistant coaches yesterday? I was, yeah. I was out there and talked to some of them, yep. What, uh, who impressed you the most? Because I'll say Anthony Lynn was really impressive. Anthony Lynn was definitely impressive, and I think he was definitely someone that everybody wanted to talk to. Uh, I really like what Coach Simmons had to say, the new defense uh, pass game coordinator. Um, you know, just just getting a little bit of insight from him as far as like what his duties are gonna are gonna really be. And you know, obviously they don't want to you know divulge too too much about what those day to day parts of the operations are. But just hearing him talk about uh, just kind of making sure that everybody's on the same page and and being more of a kind of a versatile coach for for Jason Witt to really lean on to kind of do whatever he needs to do. And I think that's just kind of a an important feature of this coaching staff from from top to the bottom, not just Coach Simmons, but uh, his ability to kind of communicate that and and just the the theme between talking to all of the assistants about the physicality they're going to play with, the explosiveness they're after. Like it's it's really cool because the same kind of themes are, are coming across in everybody's conversations, but they're not the exact same words. So they're not scripted words. It just shows that everybody kind of understands the wavelength that they're all trying to get on. Yeah, I mean, the fan base is going to be focused on the quarterback position, but I think we should be, you know, turning our attention to the defensive side of the ball because that's the side of the ball that I believe will improve the most this season under Dan Quinn and Joe Witt. Yeah, it certainly has the potential to. I mean, you look at the previous year's versions of the defense, and I mean, you know, these guys didn't just forget how to play football, right? You've had good versions of this commander's defense over the years, uh, and, you know, I know last year was obviously not that, but it's not because you know players just forgot how to how to do you know do do the do the sport as they would say. 
it's all about, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's about putting the, like the coaches will tell you, it's about putting them in the right position and having the right attitude. And I think that's why all the conversations about, you know, style versus scheme and, and all that stuff, like, you know, people will, will have their preference of odd front defenses, even front defenses. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, in, it's on the coaching staff to really unlock what each, you know, version of their defense looks like and, and, and the benefits that it gives you. If you can't do that, it doesn't matter how many guys you have in the line of scrimmage, you're going to lose. David, so we mentioned Anthony Lynn, and, and you know he kind of uh, surprised a lot of people. We talked about it a little earlier, uh, and Michael Phillips mentioned it on his show. You can hear MP on the mic Monday through Friday from 10 to 12 noon. You know Anthony Lynn revealed to Scott Abraham, I believe, that Ron Rivera offered him the job last year. Was that news to you? Uh, that he was offered the job, certainly. Yeah, I know. I think we all knew there was conversations there. I don't know if anybody had uh, you know confirmation that there was an official you know offering made, but. Uh, you know, it, it's it's part of the conversations. There's a lot of conversations that go down in the NFL circles that, you know, sometimes we get privy or we're, we're privy to, and sometimes we find out after the fact. But I think it just kind of shows that, you know, there's just there's a lot of layers to everything going on in the NFL that, you know, we, we feel like we have a grasp on. As soon as we think we have a grasp on what's going on, something something changes, and, and it's just it's just part of the business, man. Grant and Danny are coming up next from 3 to 6 p.m. right here on 910 The Fan. Uh, but they're currently having a discussion right now about the best free agent edge rushers. Uh, what mm-hmm. position do you think Washington should target first in free agency? I mean, the the edge is certainly, you know, one, one part of that. And, and obviously, you know, the, now you get into the conversations of are they going with more of a of a reduced odd front because if you are then you're most likely looking at like stand up outside linebacker types and uh, you know he's not a free agent but a guy like Hassan Reddick who is potentially on the trade market even though he said he wants to stay in Philly but then he's been given permission and all that back and forth like you know he's 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 a he's a guy that at least they could add from an external addition standpoint maybe not a free agent uh, but then on the other side of the trenches too the offensive line I mean I think at the end of the day uh, you know and even talking to some of the assistant coaches like you talk to linebacker coach Ken Norton Jr. and even though he's you know his responsible. Uh, he's responsible for the linebackers. He's a you know uh, a linebacker legend himself. Like he'll even tell you like the the defensive front is where the whole thing starts. Uh, so if, if that's not secure, then you know it does, I'm not gonna say it doesn't matter what you have behind it, but obviously it impacts everything. And then the offensive line is the same thing for the offense. So you want to see the team get better in the trenches. Uh, I really like what KJ Henry and Andre Jones Jr. did as rookies as far as showing potential and flashes. Uh, but I think you know that that's certainly the edges is not a not a position that you can call secure at this time. So last time we spoke, David, <clears throat> I made it clear. I'm a Caleb Williams guy. I'm all in on Caleb. Yeah. But I also said Caleb or bust. Well, since then I've retracted that statement. I'm starting to become uh, a Drake May guy. I- I'm a May mm. supporter now. I'm a May man. What do you think of Drake May? <laughs> I mean, there's certainly potential there. You know, I think that really anybody you talk to, like if you talk to a Caleb Williams guy, a Drake May guy, a Jane Daniels guy, like you're all correct. You know what I mean? Like everybody's correct. There's absolutely potential for, for any of those three guys uh, to be a franchise leader. And if you want to get deeper in it, you know, the guys like Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., I think like J.J. McCarthy, I think is probably the most incur- or, uh, intriguing to me from like the second batch of, of quarterbacks as far as a long-term solution. I don't, I don't think I would thrust uh, J.J. out there year one by any means. But, you know, I think, you know, speaking of those top three guys, like it's interesting because it really is. It's a Goldilocks situation. Like which you know, which flavor do you like the most? Uh, it makes most sense to your football theology, and that's the person that you're probably going to fall in love with. If it, you know, but with the with the Washington Commanders, it's it's kind of you know being able to fall in love with the prospect, but also being able to fall in love with the plan for the prospect. You know what I mean? Like in a vacuum, this this these talent evaluators may like Caleb Williams more, but at the end of the day, if they look at Drake May and 
and play and you know game game plan and say what if Drake's our quarterback? What if Jaden's our quarterback? And they love those plans, then that can make you fall in love with the player if that makes sense. So I mean, I think you have an opportunity to win with any of these three guys. It's just about how the coaches best utilize that person's skill set. You know, we're excited here in, in Richmond for the Washington Commanders off seasons, the most important off season I believe in the past twenty years. And I yeah. personally like the hire of Dan Quinn, who's brought in Joe Witt and Cliff Kingsbury. But we played a clip today from The Ringer, their podcast, uh, talking about these guys. And, you know, I thought it was quite interesting when they said, these are known commodities. Benjamin Solak said, these are known commodities. Dan Quinn, Cliff Kingsbury, Joe Witt. I just don't like the sum of these parts. How would you respond to that? I mean, you know, they're a known commodity because they obviously have history and they have histories that people have figured out. I think when you're looking on the outside, from the outside looking in, it's easy to get into uh, that kind of a mode. And I think that's where you have to, at this point in time, just kind of listen to, to what they're saying and, and how they're talking. You know, you look at, you know, I just mentioned Coach Simmons, the defense pass game coordinator. Like, he knows Joe Wood Jr. from their time together in Green Bay. But since they worked together in Green Bay, they have each been to many different organizations and they've both been exposed to several different coaching staffs and methods and techniques and ideas. And they learn their own lessons. So, you know, the old you know, Joe Witt Jr. that you're getting from Green Bay or Dallas or, or Cleveland or any of his other stops, you know, those, that's not necessarily the same guy as long as he's going to put into practice what uh, has been said. And, you know, Dan Quintus talks about evolving and, and wanting uh, to learn through his mistakes. And, you know, I even asked him in his press conference about uh, the very noticeable shift that he had from his time in Atlanta and before Atlanta and Seattle uh, from running four down linemen for, for most of his career. And in the last three years in Dallas, he's been running with mostly three down linemen. That's, a, that's an incredible shift in football theology that you don't usually see. Um, so, you know, that shows you that at least in some measure uh, you have a coaching staff that is willing and, and available to adapt and learn. And that's, that's the key, right? I mean, if, if the same old Cliff Kingsbury, the same old Dan Quinn come out, then Benjamin Solak can be proven right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't blame anybody for wanting to take the I'll believe it when I see it standpoint. Right now we're mostly reacting off the we'll believe it when we hear it, you know, and, and that's, that's just what you have to go off of right now. But, again, the, the actions are going to speak louder than the words. Uh, you know, because, I mean, we, we had these same conversations about uh, EB a year ago. You know, he was saying all the right things and talking about adapting to his roster. And then, you know, at the end of the season, we're all talking about how he was taking a first-year quarterback and making him throw away too much and not adapting. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the play on the field is going to dictate what their reputation becomes, not the words right now. But we're all reacting off of what they're saying, not what they're going to do. Franchise tag deadline day, March 5th. Will Washington end up tagging anyone? I would be surprised if they did. I don't I don't I don't think so, no. And so Cameron Curl, will he be on the roster next year? You know, that's that's very interesting and, and these coaches are all being very, very smart, but very tight lipped on player evaluations right now and, and not really tipping their hand on what they feel about certain guys. You know, the the big names are obviously there, but yeah, I can't really get a beat on what this coaching staff and what you know these talent evaluators and Adam Peters uh, feel about Cam Curl. I think that Cam has a as a, a versatile skill set, and especially with the injury to Derek Forrest, I don't know uh, you know how much you want to want to assume that he's going to be able to provide when he comes back. Obviously, you're hopeful he gets back to his normal production, but you know, uh, given that that whole thing, depending on the contract demands and all that, I would I I would absolutely love to see Cam. Uh, come back, you know he's he's a he's a good part of that defense, and I think that any defensive coordinator with any amount of creativity is going to be able to use a guy like that. David, always appreciate the time. Before we let you go, I, I did want to mention 
Washington fans all remember the name Mike Sellers, and uh, there's a yeah. GoFundMe right now. We can tweet it out at 910thefan, at AWOD Radio, quality of life for Mike Sellers, uh, organized by his family. Do you have any stories, any memories of Mike? I don't have any stories. I've never you know, got to meet him, but just you know, being a football fan growing up, I mean, like you said, like that's a name. You know, I, I, I feel I'm blessed. I, I wasn't raised uh, to, to have one team that I'm a fan of. My, my father wasn't a fan of any one team in the NFL, so I kind of grew up the same way. So I got to be a fan of guys like Ted Norton Jr., even though I wasn't a Cowboys or a 49ers fan. And, and Mike Sellers, that's, that's a name that I grew up, uh, you know, knowing and, and, and just appreciating the way that the game was played. So, yeah, to see what uh, he and his family are, are dealing with is, is you know, heartbreaking. <laughs> but uh, encouraging is, you know, you're seeing a lot of the screen grabs and the tweets of people that are supporting him and coming through. And, and so, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely the better part of humanity. So I'm glad that you're, you're putting that out there as well. Absolutely. Uh, Joe Gibbs donated $10,000 yeah. as they've already raised $88,150 uh, in the last few days. Great stuff, David. Always appreciate it. If people want to check out their work, where your work, where should they go? Yeah, I mean, a lot's on Commander, so plugging away five days a week. I'll be at the Scouting Combine next week, and uh, we don't have our, our official plans down, but I feel like you're probably going to have about a 10 or 11 episodes of my Combine thoughts between Locked On Commanders and Locked On NFL, and then, of course, uh, CommanderCountry.com as well. Awesome. Love it. I'll be checking it out. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fan.